Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Such an honor to introduce to you somebody who is a friend of several friends of mine, Ian Morgan Cron. I've heard so many things about him. He lives in Nashville. So we hang out with a lot of the same circles, Donald Miller, Michael Hyatt, John Acuff, et cetera. It's kind of the Nashville posse around here, and but we've never actually met. And so I forgot who connected us recently and said, hey, you guys really need to know one another. And so it just made sense to bring him on the podcast. So you've probably heard of his podcast. He has a podcast called Typology, which has over 17 million downloads. He's the author of several books, including kind of the Enneagram Primer, which was is called The Road Back to You. And then he released another book recently called The Story of You, An Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. And that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, he works with companies like Warner Brothers Music and Chick-fil-A, and we have all these similar friends. And anyways, I wanted you to hear it. And I know probably half of you have never heard of Enneagram and the other half of you just are diehard and just know it's such a powerful tool and like you just run your whole life by it. And so anyways, Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rory. It's great to be here. So let's do start with the people who are not the super Enneagram people. You know, I think people hear it and they go, oh, is that like a disc thing? Right. And it's not, there's nine different types, but anyways, can you just kind of give us like the high level overview of it? Sure. Well, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system. It teaches that there are nine basic personality types in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope, to protect ourselves and to navigate the new world of relationships in which we find ourselves. There are nine distinct types and each of them has an underlying unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type habitually and predictably acts, thinks and feels from moment to moment. It's a great tool. I've worked with Disc, Hogan, Colby, Finder. I love uh, Myers-Briggs, obviously. They are all great tools. But in my experience as a therapist, as a corporate presenter and consultant, I really don't know a better instrument for helping people develop the kind of self-awareness that not only improves the quality of their personal lives, but tremendously accelerates their success in their professional lives. That's interesting. What do you think is the big, that's a big statement, right? Those are big Myers-Briggs and, you know, obviously discs and strength finders. Like we've had Tom Rath on the show. He's a good friend. Like these are really, really powerful. So what do you think really is kind of the defining or the, you know, the big distinction between Enneagram and, you know, some of these other tools maybe that people have heard of? So to be clear again, I love any tool that helps people develop self-awareness. I love it when I hear people tapping into multiple tools so that they get a sort of a 360 eye on everything Mm -hmm. that may be going on in their interior world and to understand their 
God-given architecture, right? Now, what does what what sort of distinguishes the Enneagram from these other tools? One is the Enneagram just doesn't tell you what you do, it tells you why you do it. Okay, so this is really important. It's not enough to know just your characteristic traits. It's important to know why those traits are in place so that you begin to work with your strengths and your weaknesses at the level of the root system, right? You want to understand what is it that's making me be the way that I am in the world, how I show up for life. Mm. Secondly, one of the things the Enneagram does is, you know, if you're looking for flattery, the Enneagram is not the tool you want to use. (laughs) I love the, I know that there's some, like, one of the things that I thought was pretty entertaining was how they talk about at its extremes in the negative direction, you know, it's like the Hitler was this way or like, you know, somebody like, I thought that was kind of like, oh, it's not flattering always. So, you know, the Enneagram does teach us that what's best about us is also what's worst about us. And what's worst about us is also what's best about us. Our strength is our Mm. weakness. Our weakness is our strength, right? And so, you know, in the beginning of the journey of understanding who you are and developing self-awareness, you are going to have to confront those parts of your personality that are in direct opposition to the person that you want to become, right? Like, we all should want to know. What is it that stands between me and the person who I want to become? And so, you know, that requires looking at the shadow aspect of our personality. That said, the Enneagram also will tell you what's most wonderful about who you are. But you do have to kind of slog through the not so great stuff before you get to realizing, oh, my gosh, at my core, I have all kinds of competencies and personality traits that are wonderful and needed at the table of life. Mm-hmm. So like the road back to you is kind of like the foundation, I guess, is how I process it and think about it. And then the story of you is your newest book. So can you talk a little bit about why this version of the book and this kind of angle? So, yeah, I mean, the road back to you was a remarkable you know, at the risk of sounding self-congratulatory, but I'm as surprised by it as anybody. So don't hear it as me bragging. You know, it was a tremendous success that I could not have predicted, right? Mm. And the road back to you for me was more of a book about, okay, so I have information. So now how do I begin to activate transformation? Like information is not growth, Right. You can know everything there is to know about you. And if you don't have a formula for transformation, it just doesn't make any difference. Right. Now you're just armed with data, but data doesn't mean anything unless somebody can analyze it and then make decisions based on that new information. Right. So, for example, you could have all kinds of business data. You know this. You may understand your email list. You may understand who your customer is. You may have gotten all the metrics, but if you don't act on those and know how to act on those, who cares? <laughs> Who cares that you have all, all that information, right? That's not a perfect correlate, but it's not bad either. So this book was really about helping people understand that the Enneagram just doesn't describe nine personality types, but the nine stories, each of those types tell themselves and others about who they are and how they think the world works. Because, you know, we all understand that mutual friend, Don Miller, knows this. 
who, by the way, is featured in the book in one of the chapters, you know, we all know that we live inside, we experience our lives as being lived inside of a narrative, inside of a story. But what if the story that you picked up as a little kid is wrong? Like, what if the story you picked up as a little person and now have dragged into adulthood is frustrating your ability to live a happy, productive life? And I, as a therapist, you know, and as a person who works in that, call it the self-development space, right? It's like, if you don't unearth and examine the narrative in which you live your life, it will govern your life negatively from the shadows. You won't even know it's running, right? It's just kind of like, you know, like a system back here that's running. And if you don't confront that old story, then you will continue to live by its dictates. This is why I think sometimes, you know, it's interesting in my conversations with people, if I use the word stuck, nobody has once asked me to define what I mean by the word stuck. Mm. They just know it right away, right? It's just like, oh yeah, I'm stuck. Well, what is the reason for people's experience of stuckness? Usually it's because they're living by an old narrative that no longer works for them. And I want to free people from that narrative. And that's what the book, The Story of You describes. So here's what I want to ask you about is I want to try to like tie this together. You know, the people listening here, we would describe them as mission-driven messengers. So they are experts who in some way they serve the world typically as an expert. And you know, you said something earlier about your first book. You said, I couldn't have predicted its success. And I think it's really, really true about in life, but even as a personal brand, we live inside of a story that's subconscious, like it's there and it came from wherever it came from and it governs what, how successful maybe we allow ourselves to become, or it limits us in terms of, you know, maybe we're not, we don't want to be self-promotional or et cetera, et cetera. What do you think are some of the stories that people who are on a mission sort of struggle with, or, you know, could be just entrepreneurs or just anybody who's an author or a speaker, just having been that path, you know, both as a counselor and understanding Enneagram, but also as an author who has built this tremendously successful and well-respected brand and reputation for such a very specific space. I mean, you have accomplished several of the things that we talk about and define and describe and try to provide training for. So I'm just curious, what do you think are some of those stories that you think we all have to overcome in our journey as an expert, entrepreneur, author, speaker type? Well, there are some obvious ones. You know, how many times have you heard people say, or you can vaguely pick up in your conversation with them, something like, I'm not smart enough to do this. That's a broken story, right? Or how about, I'm too old to start a new business. Mm. That's a broken story. You know, you might hear someone say, man, I have to do this perfectly or not at all, right? That's an old story from childhood. You know, that's the Enneagram One story. It's sort of like you are raised with this belief that the world only rewards good people and judges bad people. And therefore, you have to do everything perfectly. You have to perfect yourself, others, and the world and you can't make mistakes. You have to live up to these high, rigid internal standards that are impossible to meet. Now, you want to talk about something frustrating, the development of a business, try perfectionism. 
I remember Mike Hyatt saying to me once, and it was really revelatory because I do have a little bit of a perfectionist streak. And he said to me once, Ian, don't wait till it's perfect to put it out there. Do the best you can, throw it out, fix it as you go, but don't wait for anything to be perfect in life. Just get a product out there and see how it goes. And that was like so liberating for me. And it went against an old story I've been telling myself about how the world works, you know, and about myself. Like, I don't have any value unless I'm perfect. Is that true? No, that's an old story. Like, now, Mike is an Enneagram 3. That's called the, the performer or the achiever. The performer believes that the world only values others for what they accomplish and achieve in life, but not for who they are inside. So therefore, they become addicted and driven to succeed to appear successful to other people and to avoid failure at all costs. Now that story may have helped Mike or other threes as little people to find their way in the world and make sense of their experiences, but that'll kill you in business. That'll kill you in your personal life, right? How many workaholics do you know who live by that story, right? Or people that, you know, become risk averse because they just, they're afraid of not appearing successful. So Again, I could go through all nine types. It would take too much time. I think you get the idea here, right? You got to see the story. You got to deconstruct the story. You got to take it apart. You got to interrogate and challenge it and then decide, I want a new story. I want a story that's going to lead to a life that is genuinely happy, satisfying, you know, has fulfillment and, you know, opens the door for the kind of success I had never thought I could achieve. And yeah, and you mentioned the three, which is like the achiever, right? Or the performer. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people listening to this would fall into that category just because it's like, you know, many times when we meet people at Brand Builders Group, it's because they have been at the top of their trade or their profession or their industry. And now they've already achieved that. It's like they've won all the trophies and the awards. And now they're going, okay, I want to help other people do it. So, you know, and then also, I think like the I'm too old, you don't hear that as much, but I think it sort of shows up in ways like, well, I don't understand social media or I don't, you know, I don't like that or I, you know, I'm just not good with technology or those kinds of things. So, I mean, talk to us about rewriting the stories, Ian. So like whatever they are or or even identifying it. Like I love how you said that. Okay, first you got to like identify it and then we deconstruct it. Then we figure out which pieces that we want. What are the, do you have any tips for kind of identifying and going like, ooh, here's a mental trigger. I am recognizing in a split second that I'm operating according to a belief that was set in place at some point in my past, maybe unintentionally. Like, how do we first identify? Because it feels like that's half the battle here. Yes. So let me just back up just for a second because I want to add something to this that I think your audience would be interested in. Yeah. So years ago, Cornell Business School did a study of 72 high-performing CEOs leading companies in value, let's say, from $50 million to $5 billion, okay? And what they wanted to determine is what specific trait accounted for their unusual success, Right. And so they expected it to be grit, determination, strategic planning, charisma, you know, the typical things we read about in business books all the time. Here was the exact quote from the end of the study. The key determinant of success in in leadership or among executives is self-awareness. Now, Mm. that stunned the researchers. 
right? This is why I get invited to companies all over the world. It's because they're looking around and saying, well, we got all these skills, these hard skills, but we don't have the self-knowledge and the self-awareness. And that makes us bad leaders. That makes us bad entrepreneurs, right? Because, you know, you can have all those hard skills, but if you don't have the ability to relate to the world and other people in healthy ways, you're kind of screwed, honestly, right? You're, kind of, you're being held back in dramatic ways. I spend so much time coming in and doing cleanup. It's, you know, people say to me all the time, I wish you'd been here five years ago. Would have saved me a lot of time, right? Okay, so how do you go about identifying and well, and, and, and so to that point, before you go into that, so is it usually if you're not self-aware, are you delusional? Like you think you're something you're not, or are you just completely like unaware and you're just sort of like cranking along? I mean, is it basically one of those two things? It's actually both of those things among others, right? I mean, on one level, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, you have a lot of three, sevens, and eights in your audience, I guarantee you, for sure, right? Those are the three most assertive, aggressive types on the Enneagram. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. If I remember right, I think I'm a three. And then what do you call it? A wing? I think I'm a three wing eight. Well, you can't be an eight. Your wing could only be a two or a four if you're a three. Ah, so okay. It's the two numbers adjacent to yours are the only options for wing. Oh, I got you on either side. Okay. But right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a three. Yeah, I would imagine so. And I actually could have guessed that in the beginning of our call. It's interesting. if you Once you get to know the Enneagram pretty well, you can with a pretty high degree of accuracy, start to pick out where other types are. Peg people pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I could pick it up from your clothes, from your background, from what you do for a living. I could pick it up from the kinds of things that matter to you, your priorities. So anyway, that's one of the benefits. Once you're able to start doing that, talk about knowing how to relate to customers and your staff is, you know, it's a tremendous advantage. That said, you know, I think that self-awareness is important because if you do not have the capacity to step back and self-observe in the moment, like in every interaction, right, able to observe yourself, and you can tell, oh my gosh, I have slipped back into an old rotten story, and I need to make new decisions in this moment to live into the story that I believe is true, right? It's like, you have a true story, you have a false story. It's usually one, it's, we call it an origin story. You have a false origin story and that's got to go, right? And the way we do that, I use the acronym SOAR, S-O-A-R. So the first step is you got to see the story, right? And that's just a matter of looking into the past and saying, okay, where did this story come from? What is it? And what, you know, like, where did it come from? So that's where we start. Then we go to the second step, which is you got to own the story. 
which is to say it's a little bit like, you know, looking at the effects living in that story have had on your life. How has it affected your marriage? How has it you know, affected your relationship with your children, uh, your career, your dreams? You know, part of that is if you don't own it, there's not much impetus to go forward, right? Like you've just got to say, yep, this is what it's cost me. And you can also say, and this is how it's helped me, but how it's helped me is uh, not nearly as powerful as how it's negatively affected my life, right? Mm. The, the third step is to awaken. So that, that is really to say, okay, how do I now in the present begin to recognize when that old story has taken the wheel again? And then also make new choices. Like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Like, I, I can live in a new way. And that's aligned with my values, with my goals, with my dreams, right? And then the last step is to rewrite. And that's also a very conscious exercise. Like, what is the story now in the future that I want to live in? So it really does cover the past, the present, and the future. And gives you, you know, sort of a great 50,000-foot view of your life. Um, and the book, The Story of You, you know, I go through all four stages in detail and show people how to do it. You know, obviously, we can't go into the, the, the granular detail right now. But, and you know what's interesting, Rory, and we don't, I don't want to go necessarily down this wormhole, but, you know, companies tell themselves stories about who they are and how they think the world works sure. that, are, that are not true. I always think about Dunder Mifflin, you know, if you were really to have a corporate retreat with all the people there, they might say that the story that Dunder Mifflin tells itself about who they are and how they think the world works is we're the crappy paper company. Like we sell crappy paper. Now they got to see that they got to own that. <laughs> they got to awaken to the fact that, you know, like when does that take and hold and rewrite the narrative of their company? And you um, see that like basically most of these stories, they go all the way back to childhood and there was some moments. So like, you know, I think you're right. There's a lot of threes. I mean, in our audience, at some point you felt outcast or something as a child or you didn't experience love or whatever. And so you resolved to basically go, I'm going to achieve my way into being important, like that kind of a thing. That could be one of many stories that might produce a three, you know, a classic three story. I actually was interviewing a three. Oh, you know him. It was, uh, oh gosh, my brain just went dead. The only name that's coming to me right now is Jay Shetty, but it is not Jay Shetty. It's Lewis. Was it Lewis Howes? No, it was a good friend of Michael's and others. And he's a brand guy. Anyway, he'll come back to me. He's a three. And what he said was, you know, I was a kid and if I brought home a paper that was a 97, my father, the first words out of my father's mouth was, where's the other 3%? Hmm. And, you know, the message he got from, as a kid was love is predicated on your achievement. So it's like if you carry that message into adulthood, you're going to continue to believe that success equals love. I mean, you know, it's like if I don't succeed, no one will value me. No one's going to see me. No one's going to appreciate me. And, you know, part of the journey is you got to see that story and realize you know, I guess on one level, that story could produce success, right? It'll also make you miserable. <laughs> it will mm -hmm. also make you not a very good person. In your worst expression, it could make you someone who cuts corners and maybe become someone who's so ambitious that you're willing to take credit for stuff that other people did. I've seen that in corporate settings. Now, that's an unhealthy three, but you get the idea, right? It's like, 
you have to wake up and realize I want to be a success, but do I want to build my self-esteem on success? I don't think so. And so you basically just have to become aware of it. Like you just have to recognize, oh, whatever. Like we're, I think workaholism is a good example of going all I'm doing. And I think there's a lot of people doing that. And obviously working from home makes that easier probably than ever before is just going, why am I doing this? This is connected somehow to a story I once told myself as an old program that's still there. And maybe part of what you want to confront is the first objection a person might have is, yeah, but if I don't keep doing this, I won't be successful anymore. And what I would say is, well, that's going to cost you a lot. That's going to cost you relationships with children. It's going to, you know, it's, it's restricting you from living a full life. Now, the old part of the old story you have to confront is that I won't be successful unless I continue to live by those rules. That's a lie. You can continue to be successful and productive and not live by those rules and live with more freedom and happiness. You know, can you imagine how great it is to be successful and enjoy you know, being a productive person without having to build your self-esteem on it? I mean, that's a great feeling of freedom. And that's what I want people to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so when you talk about the rewrite, okay, so you gave a sore, you talk about rewriting. Tell us a little bit about that, right? Because it's actually, to me, it's not that hard to spot this in ourselves if we're just looking for it because you kind of go, well, what's my greatest strength? That's also probably my greatest weakness. Like what I do the most of, it's also probably something that's harming me. And specifically, you could just go like, where am I losing in life or where am I not experiencing life the way I want it? And then kind of going, what's the cause of that? The cause of that is some underlying message that I've told myself over and over again. And so on the rewriting part of it, so just to touch on it real quickly, I know we don't have a ton of time, but like, is there anything specific you have to do to rewrite it? I mean, is it basically like you literally take out a pen or a blank piece of paper and you write and say, boom, this is what I'm letting go of. And this is what I'm choosing to adopt for the future. Absolutely. It's not that hard an exercise. I mean, you could do it in 350 words. That's one page, right? Or you could begin there, right? It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, I got to write a novel here, you know? And also I would say, if you do the SOA part, you see it, you own it, you awaken to it, as passive as it sounds, you will have cleared away enough debris at that point that the story you want to live will begin to emerge on its own. You know what I mean? It just starts to come up like green shoots, Okay, and you just begin to enjoy it. What you just described is in part self-awareness. I'm able to see when the old story is taking place. I then start making new decisions. I pause. And people who don't have self-awareness, Rory, here's what they do. They bang guardrail to guardrail through other people's lives. They're on Mm. autopilot. They don't even know why they're doing the things they do. And they don't know why they continue to do things they don't want to do. And they continue to do things. They don't continue not to do things they do want to do, right? It's like they're like stuck in Groundhog Day. But once you get self-awareness, you're able to say, you know, and you've done the exercise of saying, sitting down and going, well, what's the life I want to live? What am I afraid of? Are those fears justified? Like, let me ask you as a three, right? Imagine if I said to you, Rory, next year, what would happen if your business went down 50%? And you say, I'm terrified of that idea. And I said to you, okay, well, just tell me five reasons why you're scared. 
And you might say, well, if I was honest, I'm afraid of reputation loss. I'm afraid of maybe people not respecting me as much as they used to. I'm mm-hmm. afraid of not looking as successful as I did. I'm afraid that my self-esteem is going to go down, right? And you could write a whole list. And then I could just say to you, okay, so let's imagine that happened. Would that be the end of the world? Do you think it's a permanent thing if your business goes down by half? You see what I mean? Like you're unearthing and sort of challenging right. that this is like going to you- be the end of the world, Right. You kind of walk in that for a minute and realize it's not as bad as you think. Yeah, I was I was actually having this conversation with Lewis House once because I was saying, you know, I grew up with so little that my mind immediately goes back to we're going to be broke living on the streets. Like it's like we're so far away from that ever being a reality. And we have so many skills and relationships that it's you know, it's pretty near impossible that that situation would ever happen, but it's almost like I'm running at times from that extreme of a fear because it was so deep rooted in who I was growing up and how little we had. And it's like, what a silly thing to be running away from when you're like, you know, light years away, like (laughs) for it to still drive you like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's really understandable. So, you know, be kind. I tell yeah. people all the time, be kind. There's a reason that fear is in place. You'll know you're in an old story. You just described it too. If your fears are disproportionate, right? It's like, wait a minute, that is an over-the-top fear. It's like, that is not true. But, you know, what's happening is you, literally your little brain is lighting up like it did when you were a kid. And you're like, you know, well, of course it does. It doesn't mean you have to continue to live by the rules but of that, but you know, you have to have a little self-compassion and say, look, I know where this comes from, but I also don't need to live in the old story that that's going to be the end of the world. It's all going to be okay. I got a great wife. She'll be there. I got great kids. They'll be there. I got, you know, I'm a really smart person. You know, I'll be able to you have God. I mean, you have faith. I mean, when you have faith and it's like, you, you got everything. The other story that I would say, Ian, that I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is they can't delegate things because they are stuck in that perfectionism. They really believe the only person who can do it is me. If other people do it, they won't do it as well as me. I have to do this myself. I'm the only one who knows how to do it. That story, maybe more than any other, is the one that like, I I see it every day. It, It exists as a reality in their mind. And it is a prison sentence of their own construction. If they ever want to scale the business or grow a company or have a team or just have a life because it traps you to doing everything yourself. You come across that one ever? Oh my gosh. I mean, all the time. I mean, you know, I'll come into a company and someone will go, this guy is, this woman is such a control freak. Like that's typical of Enneagram one improvers, right? Perfectionism. It's like they constantly are rewriting things I write. They assign me things and then they redo them. They are highly controlling. They're not very good at praise, right? They're a little stingy with praise. I could go on and on about this personality style. And, you know, of course, that's going to restrict growth. It's going to restrict, as you said, scaling a business, right? Because it's going to put, it's a, what I would call a drag coefficient, right? It's going to slow down the boat, right? It's like having an anchor off the back of the and that's boat. That's a good way of thinking sailing. about it. So, you know, that is an old story. It's based on, you know, for example, I meet a lot of ones that grew up in families where they, you know, either 
got explicitly someone told them you have to be perfect and you know always good and never make mistakes or you'll be punished in some way you'll be shamed or you'll be you know told you're not a good person or whatever and so that story has to be looked at or you know sometimes they had to fill a role of a parent you know because uh, some parent was absent they had to become an adult way too fast you know and step in and take care of sisters and brothers and there were no rules. And so they had to come up with the rules for themselves, you know? And so, you know, we have to see that we got to own it. We got to awaken to when it's coming online. And then we got to rewrite a new story that says, I don't have, not everything has to get done perfect. I can't keep hiring people and then not using them and trusting them. Right. I have to be okay with other people and myself making mistakes. That's part of the journey. In fact, mistakes can be a great asset if I approach them wisely so again, you know, these are the kinds of things I want to, you know, in the story of you, my goal was, how do I help people break out of the prisons they don't even know they're in? Because that's when those, when you don't know where you're in a prison, that's the most secure prison in the world, mm-hmm. right? Is the one you don't know you're in. And so, you know, I want people to experience freedom in their work life, in their personal lives. I want them to not only enjoy success, let's say in business, I want them to have happier lives. I want them to have better marriages, better friendships with their kids, with their, you know, their peers. I don't want them just to be successful in business, man. I want them to be successful in every area of their lives and to experience the joy of fulfillment. Yeah, I love that. AJ read a book recently by Craig Groeschel called Winning the War in Your Mind. And she told me, she said, one of the quotes in there was that the devil's greatest victory is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Makes me think of like what you're talking about. It's a prison you live in. You don't even realize that it's there. It's guiding your life. You're stuck doing things that you don't want to do when you not doing the things you do want to do. Really, really powerful stuff, Ian. So the book, everybody, okay? So the book is called The Story of You, the podcast typology. Where else do you want people to go, Ian, if you want them to like learn more about you, get connected to you? Like, What's the best place? Right. So obviously, The Road Back to You and The Story of You are both great assets. They can go to my website, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N, and there they can learn about courses. They can learn about, you know, my Enneagram assessment. We're just coming out now with a, in fact, it may be available when by the time that you, you know, broadcast this interview, it's called the IEQ-9 Couples Report. So you could actually, you know, you're an Enneagram 3. I don't know what your wife is, but let's say she's a 6. I'm making this up. You would get a report that shows how threes and sixes get along, what their challenges are, mm. what their assets are. And it, it's a, you know, it's like a 40 page report. So it's not, you know, cool. something that's, it's robust, right? They can learn about all kinds of, you know, my speaking options there. And of course on social, it's at Ian Morgan Cron across all the channels. And yeah, I think that probably covers most of it. Really, really cool, Ian. Well, I think what a great cause to, dedicate your time and career to self-awareness and and so clear and specific and actionable about the work you're doing there and the power and the impact that it's having. So there's, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me why it's spreading. And that makes me happy because it's really, really great work. So thank you for making time to be here. We wish you all the best. We'll continue to follow your journey and just keep helping people, my friend. Thanks, Roy. This was a delight.
That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.